You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Zero Road. And I'm Lucy Kellison. This is the WFHB local news for Monday, September 19th, 2022. We had reduced our energy consumption by 46% over the course of a year. So I had always thought of myself as somebody who would someday get solar panels. Later in the program, I speak with Woody Bessler and Ann Hedden of the Center for Sustainable Living about empowering local residents to go solar. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have some recent prison-related news and announcements from the producers of KiteLine, our public affairs program devoted to prison issues in the Midwest and beyond. But first, your daily headlines. At the Bloomington Historic Preservation Commission meeting on September 8th, Senior Project Manager Gloria Colombrania shared a request from a petitioner to install a fence on their property located on East Atwater Avenue. At 1006 East Atwater Avenue, the owners and petitioners Ann and Doug Finley are requesting for a fence to be built between their house and 1002 East Atwater. It's technically a fence divided in two or two fences, a backyard eight-foot um, privacy fence starting at the front of the house towards the back, and then a four-foot front yard fence um, that connects the eight-foot fence with a hedge in order to um, provide some privacy between both buildings. They, the owners are here, they can attest to it and talk about it more if they want to, but they have security concerns with the neighboring property and, and are requesting the fence so that they can um, avoid future incidents such as the one that happened earlier this year where somebody drove into their yard and destroyed part of their property. Colon Branya said the staff recommends approval of the fence installation. Then, petitioner Ann Findley spoke to the commission. She said that she cares for the historical nature of the property, but is resorting to putting up a fence to prevent further damage caused by a group of fraternity members living next door. Uh, my family has owned this property for 80 years, and we really love this property. And and we have a real feeling of the history of Bloomington. In fact, my mother was raised a block away from this and saw this property and wanted to live here when she grew up and was fortunate enough to do that. We don't want to do anything that ruins the property. We're very historically oriented. It is just unbearable what the conditions that we're putting up with, with illegal fraternities next door and the boys sit out on that landing of the fire escape. Unfortunately, the fences are going to resolve all that. But it got really bad when they drove a car through and knocked down our 100-year-old stone um, bird bath and then knocked down part of our 100-year-old dry stone wall. And um, those are things that we can't easily replace. And um, 
and and also the the trash that comes over is just phenomenal. I just you just can't believe. Um, and also they walk through the property, you know, and, and talk right outside your window and in your backyard. So we're. I would have done anything not to put a fence and not, you know, I grew up, I grew up in this house. That, where that house is, was our playground, a whole neighborhood played there, you know. And anyway, I just appreciate you considering this and I hope you look favorably upon it because it's kind of our last option to try to, to salvage some kind of living in that space. Commissioner member Sam Desilar suggested that they approve a fence which goes all the way around to stop anyone from walking through their bushes. I, I totally appreciate what you're going through. I'm wondering if you would like to ask us at this point to be able to continue that fence along your property line all the way to the maximum extent, because I think you may end up with them also walking through the bushes. So if, if that's uh, something that you would be amenable to, if you want permission now, um, I would say ask. Petitioner Doug Finley agreed that it could be an issue in the future. However, he said he would prefer not to install more fencing unless it is necessary. He asked if the additional fencing could be a part of the petition on the condition that the issue persists. SLR spoke in approval of the petition with the amendment. I would wholeheartedly support this petition. Um, I think this is a problem when you have uh, nuisance renters, and uh, I would love to see the city enact an ordinance to punish the uh, both the uh, uh, renters, but also hold accountable the property owners. I know that's not in our purview, it just ticks me off, and um, I will totally support this um, petition. Commission member Marlene Newman commented on the property next to the petitioners has been a problem for years. This property has been a, a problem for years. This is only the tip of the iceberg. And so I would totally agree with um, what Chris said and Sam said about, you know, offering an option to extend the fence. And it, I, I mean, it's sad, but I, I know this has just been an, a, an absolute horror story for a long time. So totally support it. Commission member Ernesto Castaneda asked if there was anything else they could do and suggested that the commission write a letter to the city about the trash problem. Department of Housing and Neighborhood Development Director John Zodi responded. Sounds like if there's trash on the property that's visible from the right of way, which I know this property it is, then that's a title, that's a, that could be a violation of Title VI under the Bloomington Municipal Code. And, and our inspectors, our neighborhood compliance staff, go out and, and uh, drive through neighborhoods, sort of patrol, I don't like using that word, but they do patrol neighborhoods. And if there's trash out or certain things that would be a violation under Title VI, then those are those could be subject to a citation. So we would issue a warning. If, if, if I picked it up, if there's trash from the rental property onto the homeowner's property, regardless of who owns the property, they're still subject to a citation. If it's visible trash from the right of way, if they're cans, if their trash uh, receptacles are not removed from the curb or the sidewalk within mm -hmm. a day of pickup, that kind of stuff is all subject to Title VI. So what I would recommend is um, 
for the petitioner um, to maybe call us. Uh, happy to give you our number to the hand department. Uh, give us a call if you'd like to have us come check something out or if you see a problem, we're happy to send an inspector out to look and then the property in question could be subject to a warning. Now, um, I think you need to be clear about where the trash is and if it's trash blowing over to your property from theirs, like make sure you clarify those things and we'll come and take a look. So that sounds like what's going on. The commission unanimously approved the petition with the amendment that they can extend the fence if needed. The next Historic Preservation Commission meeting will be held on September 22nd. On September 8th, at the Monroe County Solid Waste Management District Board meeting, Board Chairperson Cheryl Munson introduced the new controller, Holly DeWar. Monroe County Solid Waste Management District Executive Director Tom McGlasson gave his department report. Uh, we'll note that uh, our budget review schedule with the county council uh, calls for um, a presentation at a work session on next Thursday, the 15th, uh, followed by the uh, public hearing uh, on October the 4th uh, and a uh, meeting for adoption on October the 18th. Uh, also, just uh, as we've all been made aware, uh, Ms. Dewar has been hired uh, as our new controller and uh, getting acclimated and settled in, but uh, things uh, are going very well, and we think she's going to do a good job for us. Uh, also did want to uh, point out uh, that uh, in uh, in lieu, or I guess uh, in, in a response to Mr. Morgan's uh, retirement uh, that was effective uh, August the 15th, uh, Joey Long has been named uh, Permanent Operations Director. Uh, he's been acting in that capacity for some time uh, in, in Mr. Morgan's absence, so um, I think we're, we're all aware of his ability to, uh, to, pick, to pick up uh, where Mr. Morgan left off and continue to move things forward for the district. Um, also, uh, the, uh, the State Board of Accounts did uh, conduct an audit of the district for uh, fiscal years 2018 and 19. Uh, that, that has been completed. Uh, we have had our exit conference and um, been advised uh, that the findings report uh, should be available um, on or about uh, October the 16th. McGlasson also gave the landfill compliance officer Joey Long's report since Long was away on vacation. Uh, he did, did was able to provide a report before he left. Um, uh, and we'll note in there, uh, in, you know, one of the, uh, I think we've discussed before with uh, some of the, uh, changes with Mr. Morgan's retirement and uh, restructuring some things at South Walnut. Uh, we did fill the vacant truck driver position. Uh, and at this time, uh, there, there are no plans to fill the assistant operations director. And if you'll recall from our budget discussions, uh, that position is not funded uh, in the 2023 budget. Uh, also included in your packet attached to his report, uh, uh, some uh, photos and information uh, from a group called Just Us Girls Camp for Teenage Girls. This is one of the mission groups in the Philippines that our reuse program works with uh, to provide uh, clothing and other uh, you know, cooking material or cooking cookware uh, and other essential materials uh, for that group down there. Uh, so just thought it'd be nice for you to, uh, to see some information on that. Uh, one of the groups that our reuse program works with. So. Um, and, uh, 
and in, in, in light of a, or a question that was asked the last month, I will point out, you'll see uh, under his hazardous materials report, um, we did ship out um, 3,620 pounds of lead acid batteries. I think there was a question raised at the last meeting on our battery revenue. Uh, and those those are the batteries that generate the bulk of that revenue. So uh, in, in the next month or two, we, we should see that revenue line bump up some. Um, and when that shipment gets processed and we get paid for that. Munson explained this board meeting was cut short due to the Monroe County budget hearing and said the next meeting on October 13th will be more thorough. Up next... WFHB correspondent Zero Rose explores ways to make renewable energy available to Indiana citizens with lower incomes in his conversation with leaders from two initiatives devoted to empowering locals to go solar. Today in the first installment of an ongoing series of feature reports, Rose introduces us to Woody Bessler and Ann Hedden of the Center for Sustainable Living or CSL for short, about the solar projects that operate under CSL's umbrella nonprofit organization. And now, part one was Siren and Solar for All, two programs based in South Central Indiana. Our guests today are involved with Solar for All, and Siren. We have Woody Bessler, President and Treasurer of Center for Sustainable Living, and we have Ann Hedden, who has her hands in a few things, but is a Communications Director for Siren and Solar for All. I'll uh, let you guys at some point kind of define yourselves a little more, but I want to give a little bit of intro about your uh, experience and how you came to be involved with solarizing. Bloomington and Indiana. And before her retirement, she had a varied career as a university professor, a magazine editor, and software marketing writer, and a website content developer. And I understand that uh, you got solar panels in 2012. Was that in relation to climate change or thought about coming generations to be saddled with the consequences of our energy policy? Yes, Sarah, it certainly was. If you were here in Indiana in 2012, you probably remember that the whole summer was a heat wave, basically, and there was quite a drought. My granddaughter was born at the end of April, and as she went through her first months, it became clearer and clearer to me that the weather conditions that we were experiencing, and we were somewhat concerned about her health as an infant, with you know many. 90 degree days running together, that these were the conditions that had been predicted for the year 2030, not 2012. So climate change was obviously moving faster than I had been led to expect. So I had always thought of myself as somebody who would someday get solar panels, but I kept putting off the investment. But when I saw what was happening and I saw this helpless child who would by 2030, be 18 years of age and facing this on a daily basis, I pulled the money out of the bank account 
and got solar. It was the only thing I could think of to do, not continuing to add to the problem. And you were also a founding member of the Time to Change Coalition, which was a coalition of environmental organizations, right, that was going on, kind of uh, shut down as COVID hit? Correct. Uh, The Time to Choose Coalition was named after the movie Time to Choose, um, which we had shown to a large audience at the beginning of January in 2017. We filled the Buzzkirk Chumley Theater with about 500 people um, who were interested in informing themselves about the realities of climate change. And the organizations that sponsored that program were mostly local, but some were the local chapters and national organizations. And so for the next three years until COVID struck, I covered their activities and provided a calendar for people who wanted to get involved, asked the groups involved, which included Citizens Climate Lobby, the Indiana Forest Alliance, Friends of Lake Monroe, and various other organizations. Uh, Those are among the most recognizable. But it provided a platform for those groups to explain what they were seeing and what they were doing about it. And uh, you also served on a committee that wrote the Climate Action Plan for the city of Bloomington. Was that in 2020 or recently? That was in 2020, right. The um, city council unanimously approved the Climate Action Plan in April of 2021. But there was a committee composed of both citizens and governmental representatives, people from the different departments of the city who would be implementing the changes required to bring us to a safer state. And so that climate action plan was the first for Bloomington, but it was an outgrowth of activity that had been occurring since 2008 with increasing emphasis from citizens of Bloomington, because it would it became clearer and clearer that we had to do something. So are you mainly working with uh, SIREN right now? And SIREN stands for the Solar Indiana Renewable Energy Network? Right now, SIREN has been organizing the Solarize campaign, which is a group buying arrangement for solar, where we gather the information about costs and we vet the various installer partners and then run information sessions. Siren is primarily an educator. And this is the way we've chosen to do it. Well, basically since 2016, when we we piloted a program, Siren had been approached by a high school group to ask whether we could help them double the amount of solar systems in a one square mile area on a do or die kind of basis over the summer when they were available to help hand out flyers, help make presentations and so on. So the Elm Heights, Bryan Park area did in fact more than double the number of solar systems in the summer and fall of 2016 because of that. And then the next year when the city was putting solar on City Hall, the coordinator of that program, the sustainability coordinator for that time, Jackie Bauer, offered to open up 
the bidding process also for residential customers. And that was the beginning of the Solarize campaign that has run from 2017 to 2022. And in that five years, um, it has helped 389, um, well, actually, between 2017 and the end of 2021, uh, our installer partners have installed 389 systems. So a huge number of people have gone solar in the last five years. And the example that they provided has helped create a momentum that keeps people wanting to and investing in solar. There have been numerous do-it-yourself projects. Uh, during that time also, there have been numerous people who did not go to a Solarize installer, but instead to one of the other contractors in town. So there are now about between 600 and 700 sites with solar in Monroe County, which is somewhere like between 15 and 20% of the state total. So it's been a lot, we've been on a roll. You're listening to part one of an interview with Woody Bessler and Ann Hedden of the Center for Sustainable Living about empowering local residents to go solar. We now turn back to the interview on today's WFHB Local News. And Woody, I'd like to bring you in here. Give a little intro on Woody Bessler here. He's a Purdue electrical engineer. He's semi-retired, I guess, uh, from a career in electrical design engineering and project management. Fairly recently, he worked with the Proton Therapy Center of IU's Cyclotron. You want to tell us your history of becoming Bloomington resident, your family, and the things you're involved with locally here? I know you do something uh, with robotics. Yeah, I, I do have a, a few interests, and I guess I would start, as you suggested, had been living in the Chicagoland area and uh, working for Kraft Foods and some of its conglomerates, if you will, had been involved in voluntary simplicity with a group in Chicago and had made decisions along the way to try to live a little more lightly on the planet, being a vegetarian. When our twins were born, we committed to raising them vegetarian and doing what we could to live a little softer than what the typical American does with a goal of uh, having the kind of impact that maybe a South American resident does in terms of energy footprint and things. But ultimately decided that with family living in Indianapolis, that it would be nice not to be quite so far away from them. So we moved to Bloomington. We found our tribe here, found that there were lots of folks that we could identify with. And in fact, it was attending the CSL Simply Living Fair in 2005 that convinced us that we'd enjoy living here in Bloomington. I'd grown up in Indianapolis, so knew a few things about it. But in 2006, we moved here and bought a house that we knew would be suitable for solar eventually. And in 2011, actually installed solar on our house 
as part of a contest that Siren had run. And we had reduced our energy consumption by 46% over the course of a year. And that allowed us to win a one kilowatt solar energy system. And what we did was to actually install a three and a half kilowatt system. And we utilized the one kilowatt part to take some of the cost, you know, bring the cost down. And I had learned of Siren after uh, in 2008, just as it was forming, I think I attended one of the very first meetings at the library. There was a call out in the newspaper that my wife pointed out to me. And she knew that I had a strong interest in solar from when I was even back to high school. And I have to say, unlike Anne, I was not as well informed about climate change in, in high school. I was just interested in the technology, earth berm houses, high energy efficiency, and the idea of supplementing that, say, in the case of a passive solar home, those kinds of things all interested me in my high school days. I contemplated studying that in college, uh, but there were no degrees in solar energy uh, or solar design at the time. And for various reasons, I'd had a strong interest in electrical and electronics and chose electrical engineering. And that's how I got my degree at Purdue. Through that volunteer activity with Siren, was encouraged to put together the research for what was the going solar talks that Siren did for a number of years prior to Solarize. And uh, Solarize is kind of the logical extension of that, but by making it even easier, not just telling people the nuts and bolts of solar and how they might uh, you know, go about it themselves, uh, we provide kind of a concierge service. Uh, the easy button uh, is what we've described it as to make solar even more accessible to people by allowing them to get involved in a group buy without all the effort of interviewing multiple contractors and such. As, as she said, the city had approached Siren to help them with their uh, bidding process, that they were going out to bids to put solar on several of their buildings. And at the same time, we let them know that uh, we were pursuing this Solarize uh, program with uh, the young people from uh, IC. And Jackie actually attended that first presentation that we did for neighborhood solar program was what we were calling at the time instead of Solarize. And we were doing it in people's homes that were willing to host us. And it was just an intimate affair of you know 15 or so people. And uh, Jackie was one of the uh, attendees. And then she came up with the idea of piggybacking on the solar buy that the city was doing for themselves to make it less costly to go solar in conjunction with the buying power associated with the big job that the city was doing. This was WFHB correspondent Zero Rose speaking with Woody Bessler and Ann Hedden of the Center for Sustainable Living. Stay tuned next Monday to hear part two of the interview. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. 
more information online at mpisolar.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Her Husky Schneider and partners with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Zero Rose. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Zero Rose. And I'm Lucy Kellison. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcast. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for With Good Reason, coming up next on WFHB. Listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 